Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, why was there such controversy over Lizzo's ticket sales? Our office was really divided one Friday morning recently. There's one half screaming, can we have our news meeting early so we can get tickets? While the others were all Googling, who the hell is Lizzo? I do my that there is Lizzo if you didn't know her but honestly I found it difficult to go on Instagram or Twitter in the weeks leading up to the ticket sale without someone here singing her praises and so it was inevitable that there'd be disappointed folks once Ticketmaster opened its virtual doors for her November gig in the Olympia so our podcast today is twofold one we're going to explain who Lizzo is um, and she's not a shop as one of our esteemed colleagues thought after a bit of googling and why were people raging about those ticket sales Joining me on the explainer today to get to the bottom of those questions are Aoife Barry, our assistant news editor at the Journal and our producer of this podcast, Noel Rock, Fina Gale TD and bringer of all legislation about ticket touting and music guru Jim Carroll, who you'll also know as editor of Ortiz Brainstorm and the founder and organiser of Banter Talks. Thanks everyone for coming in today. Aoife, I was a little bit generous to myself last week when I said I knew who Lizzo was. Um, I definitely knew who she was because people were talking about her all the time for the weeks coming up to it. And I was seeing that fabulous poster where she's covered in glitter, but I actually wouldn't recognise her music. So for me and for everyone else, tell us who Lizzo is. So she's a really interesting musician. She's originally from Detroit in America. So she's coming over over here to Ireland for the gig. She was based for a while in Minneapolis and that's where she kind of started doing her own music and really coming out on her own after spending some time playing with different groups. She's a classically trained flautist as well. So she has that kind of classical background and then moved into the R&B and kind of pop background as well. She worked with musicians like Prince and that really affected, um, you know, the type of music she makes, which is why she has really great singles like Juice, which is one that really blew up for her when it was released earlier this year. She's also got a song called Truth Hurts, which is a really interesting example of her rise because it actually hit the Billboard 100 two years after its release. It got to number six on the Billboard 100 in America. So it shows you that she's really been bubbling under. You'll definitely know some people who'll say I was listening to Lizzo when her first of her three albums came out in 2013 I liked it before she was cool. exactly <laughs> but you know 2018 the end of 2018 started 2019 really kicked her off into another sphere so you'll see her ha- having appeared on different American TV shows she's really big on Instagram she's big on Twitter she crosses a few different audiences as well so you've got your you know kind of slightly mainstream R&B you've got your more considered R&B people as well who wouldn't be listening to the stuff that's in the charts but you'd also have kind of a queer audience a feminist audience that would really tap into her message too so she she attracts a lot of people from different areas and I think that's what really grew the demand for her and what led to the fact that there is thousands of men and women across the country that really wanted to see her play in the Olympia on the 10th of November. Yeah so the Olympia is a small venue is she mainstream that it, it, it's surprising now that someone that like that is playing the Olympia? What's interesting about her is that she I felt, felt like in some ways she automatically kind of at the start of 2019 you know pressed this button and became stratospherically huge it's it's but it's not that case in that she's been around for a number of years she's been working really really hard but she hasn't played Ireland before and she probably if she'd played here a year or two ago she might have been playing a really small venue but because she's got this new surge of fame it's not surprising that there was a huge amount of people wanting to go see her and that a venue like the Olympia would know they could get a really good crowd for her but what is surprising is that she came out and tweeted after all the issues with the 
ticket sales in Ireland. I'll play arena shows for you the next time I'm coming around. Not that many artists can guarantee that they'll be coming around and, you know, can play arena gigs next time and know that they have audiences that already could fill arenas for them. So she's a really interesting and unusual and quite unique artist, I think, at the moment. So she would have had this booked and then her fan base would have grown even larger in in the time between the two. Yeah. So... Cue the Friday morning. The buzz around her is huge. We have all seen the excitement about this tour coming. What happened? So you had tickets for sale for Lizzo that were priced between 39.50 and 45 euro. On Friday, you had a number of tickets on sale. We don't know how many tickets were on sale. You might be asking why. That's because there was a pre-sale a couple of days previously that Spotify ran. So you already had kind of a bank of tickets for this Lizzo gig on the 10th of November sold. And how that works is that you can follow different artists on Spotify. So if you're a big fan of them and it'll keep you alerted about they have new releases and things. But with this, they can also do pre-sales. So people who followed Lizzo on Spotify were sent a link and a pre-sale code and they could go buy these tickets a couple of days before the big gig. Now, not every person who was sent this managed to get tickets. I know people who actually tried and didn't, but it did mean that a good amount of tickets were were kind of pre-sold before the general audience had access to these tickets on the Friday. So come 10am, it sells out extremely quickly then, I presume? Well, so if you say my example um, of trying to buy the tickets, I was refreshing and refreshing for a couple of minutes. It hit 10 o'clock. Her tickets came on board. I clicked, you know, get tickets or whatever button you click on on Ticketmaster and immediately it said there were no tickets available but there were some resale tickets available for 100 I think it was about 140 euro perhaps a little bit lower than that at that point so my options at 10am were just no tickets available or you can buy ones that are being sold by fans on Ticketmaster which struck me as a bit strange now some people kept on refreshing I've heard some stories of people an hour later being able to buy tickets and that makes sense because when you think of it some of the tickets are going to be stuck in checkout people might change their minds you know kind of different technological things going on there at Ticketmaster so the tickets weren't exactly gone at 10am but it felt to a lot of people because they couldn't access them they were gone so eventually it got to the stage after a number of hours people were complaining that they couldn't get tickets but what were appearing were these platinum tickets that were 140 euro marked as platinum and they were available through Ticketmaster so you might be wondering what are the platinum tickets are they maybe you know you get a few extras are you really near the stage or something they're actually just normal tickets but Ticketmaster has changed the price of them depending on the demand Ticketmaster sees these platinum tickets as a way of guaranteeing fans tickets but it uses a model that airlines would kind of use and places that can decide on the price depending on the demand for things so if you want to fly to Rome and a lot of people are going to Rome for a match or whatever Ryanair might put up the prices and you kind of know that's how it's going to go that's the same situation with these platinum tickets you get nothing extra but you do kind of have to buy them at the whim of this market value so they know the demand is there because there's loads of fans and they're pricing that so that people who are willing to pay more will get them exactly so they kind of see it as you know if you're a big enough fan then you'll definitely pay this money and you know there's a lot of demand we're going to hold these tickets for these special fans who are willing to pay the money and that's our platinum ticket so are these resale tickets or are they original tickets from Ticketmaster so Ticketmaster say they are not resale tickets and quoting quoting Ticketmaster they say platinum tickets are being sold for the very first time through Ticketmaster the prices are adjusted according to supply and demand similar to how airline tickets and hotel rooms are sold and this is another quote from Ticketmaster the goal is to give the most passionate fans fair and safe access to the most in-demand tickets while allowing the artists and everyone involved in staging live events to price tickets closer to their true value now there's a few things going on there that maybe we don't know the answers to what we mean when we say the true value of a ticket is 140 euro now the true value of a Lizzo ticket even though some people spend 39 euro on them um 
you know, is it a fair and safe way for, for people to actually access the tickets? You know, it's probably good to know that there are definitely tickets are available for Lizzo. That's great for fans. But is €140 Euro the price some people are willing to pay? It's complicated by the fact as well that there are resale tickets available on Ticketmaster. You might be thinking that Seatwave is a way of buying tickets that was owned by Ticketmaster. It was a company where you could go on and resell your tickets. They closed that in 2018. That's no longer there. So if you want to resell your Ticketmaster tickets, you can do it through the Ticketmaster website. They are the resale ones that appeared exactly. that morning. Uh, I was trying to get them for our producer, Nikki, that morning. <laughs> um, and I keep kept getting the option for resale. So those yes. resales were actually Ticketmaster resales. Exactly. And what they say is that they're people who've bought the tickets through Ticketmaster and now reselling them. What was interesting, though, was that they were available pretty much immediately on the Friday morning. OK, and going back to the platinum ones, do we know how many platinum tickets there were? We don't. So the short answer is there's no numbers really on how many sales, how many sales there were in the pre-sales, how many tickets were available on the Friday, how many platinum tickets there are. You can understand from a business point of view, Ticketmaster wants to A, look after its fans and make sure they can buy tickets, but B, it wants to see this sort of supply and demand and how it can react to that. You know, it is um, a money-making business. That's what they're there for. That's why they price tickets a certain price. But we don't know, don't know. And we have asked Ticketmaster, we offered them a chance to come on the podcast and to talk to us or to give us a statement. So all I'm able to really read out is from their official website. Um, they weren't able to come on the podcast, but it would be great, I think, for fans, for transparency's sake, to get an eye on the roundabout numbers that we're talking about here because we're kind of flying blind. It could have been 100 pre-sale tickets or it could have been 1,000. We literally don't know. Jim Carroll is on the phone now. Jim is someone who has been talking about this issue for a long time. So Jim, my first question is, is there anything new here or are these the same ticket issues that have been coming up throughout your career? The one element from this particular kind of like scenario that was new was the, was the platinum tickets. That was, a, that was a kind of a whole new emergence. We've seen it before. We've seen it anytime you've got a big act playing a small venue where you've got extraordinary demand, you will see fuming in the aftermath. In this case, you had someone who announced a show on the Monday or Tuesday of that week. I think it was was 25,000 tweets about Lizzo the day the show was announced. So you immediately saw there was a, a, a huge demand. You have a venue that can hold at most uh, between, depending on the con- configuration they use, 1,200 and 1,600 people. So there's, there's no way one can fit into the other. You then look at the situation in the city and when it comes to the landscape, when it comes to the, supposed to be the gigging e- ecosystem, you've got the Tree Arena, there's a gig on there that night. You've got the RDS, there's yoga or something on there that night. Uh, the convention centre isn't suitable. Someone mentioned as well about the basketball arena out in town well, that's Tala. You know, there's someone also mentioned about something out in City West. That's, that, that, that isn't used for gigs. So you're in a situation where, okay, well, that's the only venue she can go, and go into. So then you're in a scenario where you kind of know by the time tickets go on sale on the Friday morning that this is going to be a storm. Aoife has been explaining the Spotify pre-sale and, you know, we hear about all these pre-sales for fans or um, through corporate sponsors or wherever all the time. What impact are they having on the ticket sales and then the gigs themselves? Pre-sales have been a massive issue for so long. I mean, in Ireland, I would say the one issue, the one, the one concert where pre-sales came to the fore was the U2 Joshua Tree show in Crow Park. I remember that morning, tickets flew out and you were kind of going, okay, well, U2 in Crow Park's a hot ticket, but it's not that hot a ticket. And you kind of, you begin to get curious, but how many tickets exactly went on sale? And I always remember, like me, when I was in the Irish Times, sending an email to the band and the band PR asking, how many tickets exactly did you put on sale? And how many went to the fan club? The fan club basically said, 
situation is that if you pay, I think it was a, you know, it's either 10 euros or 40 euros, you you joined the fan club, which gave you access to the pre-sale. I think it gave you access to the pre-sale with four, I think they had four sticks or eight tickets. So you could hop on, the, the, pay your 40 euros, buy your tickets ahead of kind of like mean general release. And next thing, you've got tickets for a sold out show and you can just go on to, at that stage, a very secondary ticket markets and sell your tickets. We've always got to keep coming back, Sinead, to the kind of like the small venue situation. We've got to come back to basically, in fact, that the Olympia is very, very small. So if you have a pre-sale where a certain proportion of the house is being allocated to people who have pre-sale codes because of corporate sponsorship or because of Spotify or whatever, you know, that, that number of tickets which are going on general release is being reduced all the time. Definitely in this case, pre-sales had a huge bearing of what's going on because the overall volume of tickets was too small to meet the demand. When I was trying to get the tickets for uh, Nikki the other day, I kept getting resale ones, but I thought that Ticketmaster had said that they weren't going to do that anymore. So where were those tickets coming from? A small history lesson kind of comes in here. Like the, something that people need to always remember is that the main sick, the main secondary ticketing markets which are now outlawed, the likes of kind of Seatwave and Get Me In, they were owned by Ticketmaster. You had a situation where Ticketmaster was basically benefiting from the first sale round and then the second sale round because of their ownership of the various markets. There's a bigger question as well because Ticketmaster owned by Live Nation. We'll come to that in a bit. So basically, if you look at the at the kind of like the accounts for Ticketmaster and Live Nation over the last couple of years, there was they were making billions, not millions, billions would it be from the resale market. So like when the likes of No Rock and, and Co rolled into town their horses and, and got rid of the secondary ticket markets, Ticketmaster would introduce this whole idea of resale tickets where basically like, I mean, if a fan who basically bought a Lizzo ticket at 10, 10 a.m. relies at 10 or 1 a.m., oh, hang on a second, I've got a dentist appointment the following morning. I can't go to that gig. I need to resell my ticket. It's open to them to sell it via Ticketmaster. Like why that fan one would buy a ticket when they knew there was a pressing dental appointment, another matter. And it's also like the touts that you go to as well. I mean, what they were doing here in many ways is they're trying to kind of like I mean carve back some of the kind of like I mean, the, the, the really, really nice fees they were making from the secondary ticket market the first time around. Other than free VIP tickets, what do you think is the one thing that would make most gig goers happy about the current regime of ticketing? I reckon that the only people who are happy about the current ticketing regime are people who actually get their hands on the tickets. This is like there, there, there's, there's a number of different kind of like mean scenarios here we need to kind of like mean extract and kind of like first of all, one thing is that I want to kind of stress and this is something that's not stressed enough is and I know when people hear the following words they're just going to look at their whatever, their, whatever medium listen to their podcast and go your man is talking rubbish. This isn't Ticketmaster's fault. This is not Ticketmaster's fault. Ticketmaster are a very, very handy whipping boy for the artists, the artist management, the artist reps, the promoters, and the agents. Ticketmaster was bought by Live Nation for a number of reasons. They want to kind of control the ticket market. At the time they bought them, Ticketmaster had a huge amount of cash on hand on the balance sheet. And also, basically, they realized Ticketmaster can take all can take all the shite. They can take all the kind of criticisms and the fuming that happens. You don't see many people when they were fuming about not getting Lizzo tickets kind of going to Lizzo. Here, Lizzo, woman, why the hell are you playing a tiny venue in Dublin when the demand is there for you to play Crow Park? No, no, no. They attack Ticketmaster instead. So at the moment, like the only people who are really happy with what's going on right now is the artists. They're not being blamed. Ticketmaster being blamed. The artist management, ditto. The promoter, ditto. The agent, ditto. And Live Nation, ditto. Ticketmaster is a way, basically, it's almost like a bad bank. It's like it's like the NAMA for, for a gig course. It's a way of blaming everything on one particular person. Ticketmaster can take can take the hump on all that. So it's like they're getting the 
playing. Fans basically want to see the artist. And what's really interesting about kind of like the, the, the whole secondary ticketing market, Sinead, and, and the way it all operates is that if you look at that, that gig, you look at the Lizzo gig in Dublin, how much were people willing to pay for that? And that's where the platinum tickets kind of come in. The platinum tickets is a bit like surge pricing on the likes of Uber or kind of like me fly, or, or buying flights or buying hotels as demand increases, price will kind of go up. And this is a question that's been asked again and again in the live music business sector. It's like, well, basically, fans will pay X amount of money. But the problem is, the artist doesn't want to be seen to be charging X amount of money. Yes, they want X amount of money from the gig, but they know that if they charge the going rate for that ticket, if they charge, say, 150 euros for a Lizzo ticket in the Olympia, they'll get immediate bite back and, 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 and kind of like be positive knockbacks from, or negative knockbacks from their fans because who, like most, like some fans will pay it, but most fans won't. I mean, look at all, remember all the kind of like the brouhaha over Ry Cooter charging, I think it was 100 euros for a gig in the Olympia, you know? Artists basically use Ticketmaster as a way of insulating them from all this kind of fuming and all this crap. It's like, it's, it's almost like, you know, it, it's, it's uns said but it's implicit hey don't blame me baby it's Ticketmaster's fault there was kind of a secondary issue at play with the Lizzo gig as well in that the Olympia is probably too small for what she is now does Dublin have an issue that there's not that many in between venues like you're either in the Olympia or you're in an arena or you're in Crow Park there's definitely a supply problem when it comes to, to Dublin venues. Um, but it's also worth kind of like, I mean, I suppose, first of all, kind of pointing out where the supply problems are and then kind of like a, a bigger question, which is like, I mean, you know, where Dublin stands in the international marketplace, you know? Basically, Dublin is well served when it comes to clubs, uh, which are kind of like the small venues, be it the Academy, Whelan's, whatever. The, the theatre kind of style venues, which would be like, like the Vicar Street, the Lim- and then it's very well served in terms of arenas, which is a three arena uh, and, and upwards. And then when it comes to the summer shows, you can kind of go out into the fields and you can go to Crow Park and whatever. The, the, the problem is, and the lack of supply lies between the venues, which are around kind of like 2,000 cap up to kind of like me, the 10,000. So it's that two to 10 to the 10,000 um, uh, capacity venues. If you look at the Lizzo tour, Sinead, that, 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 that she's currently doing in Europe, and one thing to also bear in mind is that Lizzo shows in Europe were very much for a tier or kind of venue. They were for the Olympia or no, there were, Olympia is the smallest venue she's playing on this tour. Most of the venues she's playing were capacity of between kind of like 4,000, I think 6,000 there was a venue in, in Holland that was the biggest one she was doing. So that's the venue capacity she's at. We don't have a venue of that size. Uh, your man Harry Crosby had plans to do a sort of a Vicar Street tour or a three arena tour or point two that would take care of that. But like, I mean, that, that, that never happened. We definitely have, we definitely have kind of like a, a, a problem when it comes to that. I mean, like, I mean, some, some some of your colleagues like me and Sinead are from, are from Cork so they were kind of find well this is where the Cork event centre comes in but that's not built you know and also then you have a problem that like Cork is basically not in Dublin it's hard enough at the moment to get artists to come to Dublin uh, in demand artists like Lizzo she's probably kind of going like Dublin I mean why aren't I doing two, why aren't I doing next night in London instead why aren't I doing next night in Glasgow instead like when people are saying oh she played two or three nights in, in the Olympia that's it that shows naturally enough that shows a complete lack of understanding how the live music business works because I mean it's it's better for her to do extra shows in, in bigger territories like London or kind of like, I mean, like Amsterdam or Paris than play two or three shows in a small venue in Dublin it just it isn't, it isn't worth it because when she's in Dublin 
she's paying money for crew fees, she's paying money for hotels. You know, it's just not worth it. You know, and, and this is this is something we're kind of seeing again and again. That if you look at the kind of like the bands that you may want to see playing Dublin or playing Ireland, you're probably going, most of them are playing festivals, and that's because they're getting massive fees at festivals. They're not coming in playing the sort of like the smaller venues like they used to. It used to be years ago, you know, there was a circuit for international bands. They come in, they play at Wheelands or Academy, they move up to Olympia or Figure Street, they move up to a tree arena, and then you see them playing at kind of a festival like Oxygen or the Electric Picnic. Now they come in and they're playing longitude, or they're coming back and they're doing their own show, kind of like maybe at the RDS. They're not doing the kind of like the, the slow build. That's because everything is changing in the music industry, especially when it comes to the likes of streaming. The streaming can kind of turn you into a, a superstar overnight. It is actually illegal to talk about ticketing um, without having Noel Rock in the room. So, Noel Rock <laughs> from Fina Gale is here. Noel, you have become synonymous with um, ticketing legislation because you have talked a lot about it, you've brought bills. When you started becoming interested in the area, what was it that you felt needed to be tackled? Well, yeah, I've spent about 10% of my life talking about ticket touting at this stage. Uh, we introduced the bill three years ago. My interest, I suppose, and it started with, uh, I, I, I go to a lot of football matches and you'd see routinely people being ripped off and being fleeced. And sports fans, real sports fans, don't like seeing that at all, naturally enough. But there is a cohort of people out there who are intent on snapping up tickets, cornering a market, adding no value to the process, and if you like, trying to make a quick book. And the advent of technology has uh, made our lives easier in a lot of ways. Um, but in this respect, it's made things a lot harder um, because ticket touts are able to systematically uh, rack up uh, tens, if not hundreds of tickets for a popular match or a popular concert, knowing well in advance what the popular matches or the popular concerts will be, as we in this room would be able to chronicle out the next 12 months of what's going to be big. And so they do that. Mm, they make five, ten times face value in a matter of hours. There are advanced routes to market where if you're a customer of a utility company, a customer of a phone company, maybe you're a member of a fan club of a particular band or football club, uh, you can get advanced access to tickets and accordingly you can snap them up that way uh, in the full knowledge that you'll be able to flip them over 24 hours later at a, a massive inflated profit. And I realise it's not the biggest issue in the world, obviously. Uh, we have a lot of pressing issues, health, housing, homelessness. But nevertheless, um, my job as a backbencher is to legislate and try my best. And I thought this was something that I could make a very obvious impact on. That's where my interest started and that's why I put down that bit of legislation yes. with Stephen Donnelly. So the bill is three years old, as you said, but I think there's a... a a perception out there that things have changed in the in the past three years. Have Has anything actually changed in touting law or in ticketing law in those three years? Legislatively, no. Nothing substantial has changed, to be honest with you. Um, Cabinet have accepted uh, the law that myself and Stephen put forward, um, which means that there will be legislation um, forthcoming in, in the next few months. Um, there are challenges there, though. There are far more significant challenges than I frankly realised when I started on this process. Uh, the challenges being specifically uh, around European competition law. Um, so what's happening now is the Attorney General uh, has to notify uh, the European Commission in relation to this piece of legislation, uh, basically in a not dissimilar way to how plain packaging uh, legislation for alcohol had to be notified to the Europeans as well uh, in order to make sure that this law isn't somehow advantaging an Irish company over other companies in the European Union. 
obviously it's not. We all in this room realise it's not. There's not some kind of Irish solution to ticket touting or whatever that we're trying to disadvantage multinationals. Nevertheless, that has to happen and that takes time. Um, so while nothing substantively has changed legally, what you did find when Cabinet approved the legislation, which is a significant hurdle to jump over, um, many of the operators decided, right, that's it, we're, we're closing down. So Seatwave, who are owned by Ticketmaster, uh, shuttered their website a number of days after Cabinet approved the legislation uh, via GoGo have been out in the media and working all the various channels saying that their base in Limerick is under threat if the legislation is finalised. That's fair enough and nobody likes to see jobs lost and there are people employed in customer service capacities down in Limerick uh, for Viagogo who'd be one of the more well-known secondary reselling websites. Um, But at the end of the day, Uh, the public agree with this. Uh, We commissioned professional polling in conjunction with the Irish Daily Mail. 91% of Irish people out of a sample of a thousand um, said that they would approve of a ban on above cost reselling of tickets in the event, even if rather it meant job losses. So we included that caveat there just to road test that question. What does your bill do? It does exactly what it says in the tin. It it bans above cost reselling of tickets Uh, in its amended format. It limits the amount of uh, service charges or resale service charges that can be charged to people Um, because I'm looking at people send me examples all the time. And like you don't get your tickets in the post anymore. You have to print off your own tickets from the email. Uh, and yet service charges of astronomical rates are being charged often upwards of 20 euro per ticket. Like, that isn't right. You, you might not know the answer to this, but um, there's legislation now that airlines um, have to show you the final price. They can't add on the, the <laughs> service charges and all that kind of stuff like they used at the end. But ticket sellers still can. They can. Lizzo fans were caught out in that a lot. Um, what, what's the discrepancy there? Yeah, I mean, that's something that we're looking at um, as part of the amended legislation as well. It seems fairly difficult, I think, for people to, including myself, when I go in to buy a 35 euro ticket and I come out the other end of it with a transaction that cost maybe 59 euro or something like that. You should be able to see, obviously, the, the, the final price. price. Yeah, the price of it up front. There's no legislative hurdle to doing it, really. It's something that can be done. How uh, come airlines have to do it, but ticket sellers don't have to do it? That's just the way I th- that was uh, it was transposing of European Union law in that case. It wasn't a particular piece of legislation that was that was created here. And um, that was European Union law that we had to transpose into our own national legislation. A- and it makes sense, obviously. Mm. Uh, there's no European Union law on ticket touting, though. So accordingly, we haven't transposed that. Um, so that's a case of where European law is flowing into into Irish law, if you like. So you mentioned there that if uh, your bill becomes law and it's, it's signed by the president, there will be a ban on above value ticket prices. Mm-hmm. Aoife explained earlier what these new platinum tickets that Ticketmaster are selling and what they have sold them as is a ticket with its true value. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that can be done legislatively to counter that? Um, and this is deeply problematic by virtue of saying that they're, they're selling it for the true value. It's very difficult to apply the law against that. So what can we do, right? We're looking at right now, and this is going to be what we're going to have to do ultimately to to counter, and this will be an evolving problem, I imagine. We'll have to pass a law, first of all, about banning the above cost reselling of tickets. (laughs) 
And then uh, as I move into my 40s, I will, have to, <laughs> I will have to look at amending the legislation and probably on a constant rolling basis to try and thwart what what the industry are trying to do. Like we have to remember, this is a multi-billion euro industry, right? Um, it's an international industry. Uh, they employ a lot of smart people, a lot of lobbyists, a lot of public affairs people in order to get ahead of the curve and stay ahead of the curve. Um, so they've been throwing everything they can at this legislation. I think they're reluctantly accepting now that this legislation is going to pass. So accordingly, they're reinventing their model to a certain extent. And platinum is one of those industry responses that we're seeing to that. And the question to, to, to answer your question in a roundabout way, how do we respond to that? I imagine by legislating along something like the lines of the average price. So the average price of the ticket, i.e. that you can't have a dynamic pricing model where IFA pays 20 euro for the first ticket, I pay 30 euro for the second ticket, you pay 40 euro for the third ticket, and it, in inverted commas, reflects the true value of the ticket, that rather we have some form of legislation in place where there's an average value. IFA, just to finish up, there'll be a few, well, a thousand lucky people in November who'll actually get to see Lizzo. Is there any chance she'll be coming back anytime soon after that? Or, Well, what's interesting is if you look at her schedule, she's a couple of dates free around the time she plays in Dublin, but it'd be pretty tricky to get her back here again because most venues in Dublin are actually booked up. The Three Arena doesn't appear to be booked up for the dates that she is free at this stage. But watch this space. You don't really know what goes on in Buckingland. Things could already be penciled in, just not official. Would she fill an arena? I think she definitely would. And I think Lizzo would say she would fill an arena. She tweeted after everything went on on Friday. I promise you all I'll be in arenas next year. I want everyone to see the show. So I think if you want to see Lizzo in an arena in Ireland 2020, mark that entire year into your diary because it'll happen on one date next year. Thanks so much for joining us, Aoife. Thank you for listening to The Explainer. This episode was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bohan, producer Aoife Barry, and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan, who is the proud owner of two Lizzo tickets. Woo! I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and we'll be back next week with a brand new topic. In the meantime, check out some of our other episodes. Last time, we looked at why your insurance premiums are so high. There's also an episode on what Ireland should do with people returning from ISIS in the wake of the Lisa Smith case, which obviously has come into the spotlight again. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you and catch you next time.